You are listening to The Mystic Show, episode 150. Time to relax. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm your host, Chris Curran. I'm happy that you're able to join me. This is episode 150, and uh, which means we've had 149 previous episodes covering all kinds of different topics and stories and books. So feel free to go back and check it out. Our website is themysticshow.net. Themysticshow.net. And this is the show where we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and meditation and a lot of things unseen and otherworldly. And the purpose of this show is for you and I to keep growing, to keep thinking, to keep questioning, and most importantly, to keep practicing spirituality, meditation, mindfulness, all the experiential things that, you know, where we actually learn for real, for ourselves, not just reading a book, not just hearing it from someone else, but living it, doing it, experiencing it. So we release new episodes every Friday morning, and you can hear the show as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And like I said, our website, themysticshow.net. And a quick thank you to our sponsor slash uh, sister organization, Pause Your Life. That's right. Pause your life. Hit the pause button. Uh, Organizing retreats and meetups for you guys. So when you're ready to hit the pause button and check out of everyday life and turn off all your cell phones and just be a human being, drop all your roles and titles and, and responsibilities and just be a human being. Wow. That's what Pause Your Life is all about. So... This episode, I'm going to talk about a few different topics. I have a couple interesting things to share, very interesting, Uh, and a story to read, a short story, which is always nice. So it's story time, almost. We'll do that. (laughs) We'll do that near the end of the episode. Um, But lately, I've been really thinking how life, life is really great, right? Living in a human body, experiencing this adventure, whatever it is. And I'm, I'm waving my hands in the air. I don't know why, because you can't see that. But um, inevitably, our physical and mental faculties degrade, right? We get older. We age. And our faculties become less sharp. You know, our hearing might become a little less sharp. Our vision might get a little worse. And Other things, a lot of things physically, they start to break down and stuff like that. That's inevitable. That's life, right? So that's one of the reasons why the masters always are exhorting us to practice meditation and be active on our spiritual path while we still have the energy, while we still have the faculties to do it. 
because once we get a little older, you know, it the typical scenario, someone gets really old and they, they their body starts breaking down and, and they haven't, you know, haven't introspected their whole life. And it comes a point when they say, wow, there's, there's so much more to life. I should, you know, the material world is, is good, but you know, that's not it. There's something more, but then because they're older, they might not have the energy to, to put into that journey, to that practice. You know, it's just harder when you're older. So while you're young, I know you're young. And even if you're 70 or 80, you're still young. It's time, (laughs) time to practice, time to figure out what this whole thing is life. (laughs) And, and maybe even think about where we're going after, after, uh, the soul drops our body, right. And moves on. So, and I just, I think I mentioned it on the show before, but there's a little app that I use on my phone. So if you have a smartphone, whatever smartphone you have, you can get this app. It's called Insight Timer. And you can actually, it's like a timer where you can meditate and time it so it'll count down or it'll count up. It's kind of handy if you're, you know, you're not sure about your meditation practice it's nice because it logs your sessions as well. So if you meditate every day for a week, it'll give you a little congratulations and say, hey, you meditated every day for a week. Um, they also have guided meditations on there. I don't know. It's a pretty cool app. I was using it for a little while. Then I drifted away from it because I meditate all the time anyway. So I don't really need an app uh, to help me. But but a lot of people do. And I, I could have used it in the beginning you know, as well. So see little tools like this are really handy and good to use if you need it. So if you need it, use it. And, um, so that brings me to the next topic here, which I started reading this book. It's completely not a spiritual book (laughs) at all. It's called getting things done. It's actually right here. And I, it was originally published in, I'm looking it up 2001. And it was written by David Allen. And this book is all about stress-free productivity. So in the modern world where we're, each of us is getting pulled in a hundred thousand different directions and we have so many things to do, you know, our to-do list is huge and it just keeps growing, you know, apparently. Um, How do we get everything done? So this book apparently explains that. I just started reading it, so I don't <laughs> I don't have the answer. But I do have the answer in a logical way is that if everything you have to do and all the craziness is all in your head and it's not organized, that's when you become stressed and anxious and that's when you forget things, right? Things slip through the cracks and all that. So I know that's the gist of this book is that how can you dump everything out of your head into a very organized system so then you then you can be sure and you can feel really confident and stress-free that all your to-do lists and all your projects and tasks are organized and you have a way, you have a system of going through it on a regular basis and doing and prioritizing and all this stuff. So this apparently Many people love this book. They say this book has changed their lives 
And um, so that's why I'm reading it because I have a lot of things to manage and handle and I want a better system. I always like systems. I'm definitely a systems kind of a guy. Um, so I'm starting to read this book, but I I really thought just that idea that if everything is in your head, it's hard to keep track of. And and then the worst part is it causes the stress and anxiety, you know, and the worry. So it's almost subconscious. Like if you have a system in place that you know works 100% period, no questions asked, then you can relax. <laughs> and then you just go about using the system, getting things done, and that's it. So again, it's not a spiritual book, but you know, the question on our spiritual adventure, the frequent question is, maybe the most frequent question is, how do I balance my spiritual life with my material life? Right? Because it's not easy. Right? You can have ideas about being a saint and being all spiritual and, and being perfect and quiet and, and giving and with very, very little ego and then what happens is you're going to go out into the real world and you're going to get eaten by these other sharks. <laughs> They're going to take your money, your energy, your <laughs> everything, uh, if you're not careful. So we do have to interact with the world. We do have to earn money somehow. We need money to live. Money's not bad. Um, so that's why I'm reading this book is because I know if I get my material life organized very well... I won't be so worried or stressed or anxious about it. Then I can go about my spiritual life as I, as always, and they'll both move forward together. So that's why, that's why I brought this idea up on the show. So the question for you is what about you? Is your material life completely organized or do you have a system you use that is foolproof and perfect and you can just, be totally stress-free and relaxed getting things done? Or do you need to become more organized? So maybe that's something you want to look into. And um, of course, if you have any thoughts or comments about that, comment on the show post on themysticshow.net, episode 150. So next, I want to bring up a spiritual idea, which is happiness. And the difference between sensual or emotional happiness and spiritual happiness. So, you know, it, there's even a song by Sheryl Crow. It says, what does it say? Um, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I've heard this before from a lot of people. I've mentioned it too. You know, if you do something and it makes you feel good and it makes you happy, then it's good. Keep doing it. And what I've found, what I've observed is that when people say that, they're really talking about, you know, sensual or emotional happiness. You know, okay, if you go out and make a lot of money and that makes you feel good, then keep doing it. You know, um, maybe that's a bad example. But maybe you're, making, you're not making the money in the most ethical and moral way. So, okay, when I eat a whole apple pie by myself, I feel great. Okay, then keep doing it. Well, 
we got to be careful. <laughs> we got to be careful mixing spiritual concepts with material world concepts. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. What is happiness in the material world? And what is happiness in the spiritual realm? So in the material world, it's satisfying your desire. If you want an ice cream cone and you get an ice cream cone, you're happy. If you want an ice cream cone, but you don't get an ice cream cone, you're unhappy. So that's the lowest form of happiness. That is, I, I, I don't even know if it could be considered happiness um, because that's just the ego having desires and the ego wants those desires fulfilled. And if the desire is fulfilled, the ego is happy because the ego is still in charge, in control. And that's a very low level. And those kinds of desires and that kind of uh, superficial happiness, that can really almost destroy our spiritual progress. If you get caught up in these, you know, habits of, you know, chasing after sensual pleasure, you know, that that's just a whole ego game. So now you're playing inside this little arena of the ego. And obviously the whole idea of spirituality is to step outside you know, you bring your consciousness outside of that circle of ego. So you can look at the ego and say, yep, that's ego. And you can look at, you know, God or nothingness and say, well, you can't really look, but you can feel that there's other things besides your ego. (laughs) There's other people. There's the earth. (laughs) Um, So the desire-based happiness is the lowest uh, level. Emotional happiness, Okay, that that also can be tied to your ego and desire, but it can also be, for instance, let's say a mother with her child. When the mother cares for the child, the mother feels happiness because she's caring for her child and her child is taken care of. That's like that's a much deeper happiness, you know. I mean, anything to do with motherly love is always a much deeper conversation than just, oh, I want an ice cream cone, right? So so emotionally, the mother might feel really good about taking care of the child. And in a way, that's, that's a sort of happiness that kind of goes in both areas. It kind of goes into the material world and it also kind of goes into the spiritual world. It kind of, it just encompasses both. And I don't know if that makes sense, but um, maybe we can think about that or meditate on that more. Um, and then of course there's spiritual happiness, right? That's on the spiritual end of the spectrum where you're just happy and it's not even happiness. It's not like the ice cream cone happiness. It's not even like the motherly love happiness. It's like a, you know, some sort of a oneness with the universe, um, just deepest possible happiness, contentment, and serenity that has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with your body, has nothing to do with your emotions, and it has nothing to do with any other human being. It has nothing to do with the material world. It's beyond physical. It's metaphysical, right? So that's a spiritual happiness, which transcends all the other happinesses, right? Um, So that's a spiritual, that's the spiritual happiness that we're moving towards. And even some call it bliss, right? So ignorance is bliss. So 
So that that's the different types of happiness, and I just wanted to clarify that again. I mean, this is my thought, my thinking. If you have a different thought on happiness, or or you want to add something to what I'm saying, please go to the you know comment on the post. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, I want to learn from you <laughs> as well. I mean, please. Um, and so what happened is I found this article online. And it's interesting, and you'll see why I think it's interesting. So here's the title of the article, and this is from time.com, which I guess is Time Magazine. Yeah, but it's time.com. And I'll put the link to this article in the, in the show notes for you. But the title is, Four Rituals That Will Make You Happy According to Neuroscience. Right, Four rituals that will make you happy according to neuroscience. And we'll go through these quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time. But um, Number one, the most important question to ask when you feel down. Right? What do you think that is? The most important question you can ask when you're feeling down. You know, when you're feeling, you know, unhappy, guilty, or shameful, or something like that. The most important question you can ask, according to neuroscience is what am I grateful for? And yes, we've all, well, you've probably heard of gratitude and, you know, a gratitude journal and a gratitude rock and how gratitude really changes you. But here's the thing, these neuroscience folks, they kind of prove this and like, look, we know these days that everyone is testing meditation and and the brain and and the heart uh, and, and proving how meditation works and how it affects everything positively that's just a given these days if you don't if you don't know that as a given as a proven fact just do a little reading and you'll then you'll just accept it that's a fact we know that even without science we know that you know the saints and sages from india and the east have known that forever and you've known it forever you know it's just your intellect, your modern intellect might be messing with that knowing. Anyway, uh, so the question is, what am I grateful for? And here's the thing. Um, yes, gratitude is awesome, but does it really affect your brain at the biological level? Yes, it does. And here's the crazy part. Ready for this? Even if it's hard for you to think of something that you're grateful for, Let's say you ask the question, what am I grateful for? And you can't think of anything. It doesn't matter, actually. You don't have to find anything to be grateful for. It's, it's actually the searching that counts. It's the searching, it's asking the question and thinking about it that changes your, your body and relieves your worry, your stress, you know, chemically and, and neurologically, it does all that. So just by asking that question, it changes you, changes your being uh, without, even if you don't have an answer of what you're grateful for. But of course you can find answers for that. I mean, there's a zillion answers to that question. All right. Number two, label negative feelings. Yep. Label negative feelings. So if you don't feel good or you feel awful, you know, give that awfulness a name you know, sad, anxious, angry. So what happens is, again, these neuroscientists figured this out, that when you label your emotion with one or two words, it relieves a lot of that emotion. And again, I don't know why. And, 
you know, uh, you can read the article, it has more information, but it's true. So by labeling it, it helps reduce the emotion. And, you know, uh, mindfulness, I think in the mindfulness, certain mindfulness practices, they do label things like just as an observer, and that also helps relieve the emotion. So labeling your emotions with one word, one or two words will alleviate the emotion a lot. Uh, number three, and again, this is um, four rituals that will make you happy according to neuroscience. Number three is make that decision. So when you make a decision, it relieves you of you know stress and worry. Uh, you know, think of the opposite. When you don't make a decision, you're constantly thinking about it, worrying about it. You're on the fence. You're, you're arguing it both ways. You know, it's, it takes up a lot of your energy and, um, and you can stress and worry about that. So, but when you make a decision, it relieves that worry and stress. I mean, we've all, you've, you've done this. You've made a decision in your life, maybe a hard decision, and maybe you thought about it for a while and you were kind of anxious and stressed and worried about it a little but as soon as you made the decision boom you just felt better and you just moved forward and you just went with it and it, everything was fine all the wor- all the worrying about it didn't didn't mean anything <laughs> turns out so so but here's the thing about decision making is a lot of us want to make the perfect decision right? If, if you're an intellectual kind of person and a detail oriented person, you really want to, you know, think about it, weigh all your options and then make a decision that's perfect. But here's what these neuroscientists are saying. Don't worry about that. Just make a, make a decision that's good enough. Don't worry about making the hundred percent best decision because trying to be perfect actually overwhelms your brain and makes you feel out of control. So that's a hard one. Uh, in fact, I just thought it was t- speaking to a friend last night about that. He's a perfectionist. He's making these videos for the internet now, and he's a perfectionist. And I am a perfectionist too, but I've learned in the last few years, especially with this online marketing stuff, that you just got to do it and put it out there. Because if you try to be perfect, first of all, you're never going to be perfect. You can be close, but never perfect. And you'll stress like crazy trying to make things perfect. It's not worth it. So it's human to be not perfect. So for instance, my for my friend, if he makes a video that's not perfect, it's okay because people watching it, they know that. They know he's not perfect. <laughs> what do they think? He's, you know, Lord Krishna in the flesh, that he's perfect making these videos? No, people know that other people are not perfect and it's okay to show that. So again, when you make a decision that's good enough, uh, it relieves a lot of stress. And the fourth one is touch people. It's all about how physical touch and hugging and stuff, it actually helps uh, make us more comfortable and and feel better and, and also connect on a deeper level with people, you know, so it's not so um, intellectual or robotic, right? All right, so to sum it up, number one, ask, what am I grateful for? And even if you don't have an answer, it doesn't matter. Just searching helps. Number two, label those negative emotions. Give it a name and your brain isn't so bothered by it. Number three, 
decide. Go for good enough instead of best decision ever made on earth. And number four, hugs, hugs, hugs. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting, especially number three, which is the decision-making part, because that kind of ties into the book I was talking about, Getting Things Done, where if you have a system in place to make decisions quicker and easier, it just relieves a lot of stress. So um, so before we get to our story, um, I have a story, but I just wanted to remind you that if you, um, you know what, I'm going to play this little music in the background too. I think you, you remember this music. So I just wanted to remind you that on the Mystic Show website, you can, um, we have an email list. It's called Behind the Scenes Email List. And it's it's a little email I send out every week um, with a little behind the scenes information of the show. But here's the important thing. You get a free audio download when you sign up for my email list, which is also free. So none of this will cost you anything. But if you sign up, you get these four tracks of audio, which is me reading selected Rumi quotes over relax, relaxing music. And Rumi was a 13th century uh, Persian poet who has some outstanding quotes. And I read them over the music and I mixed it nice, you know, because I'm an audio engineer guy. So it's pretty cool. So if you want, go to the website right on the main, right on the top, it says relax with Rumi. You can click on that. You can sign up for the email list. It's just one email a week, every Friday. It's nothing, it's not long. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. If you just want to sign up, get the audio, and immediately unsubscribe, that's fine. Please do that. <laughs> because I, if you want to hear the audio, I want you to hear it. So, so check that out. All right, let's let this music resolve here. Ah, see, it resolved. Doesn't that feel better? <laughs> All right, so one other point I wanted to make, one other little topic is about helping other people. A lot of people actively help others. Some people give money. Some people volunteer their time. And it's really good, right, to help other people. I mean, we shouldn't be so selfish. And if, if we live in a, in a prosperous area of the world and, and, we, we, and we have the ability to help others, we should. That's just, it's just right to do it. You just, you, you just feel that it's right. Um, but also when we have family members or close ones, cl- or loved ones that are close to us, um, we often, if they have any trouble, we often want to help them, right? So, you know, especially parents with the children. If the children are having a problem, the parents want to help and they try to find a solution or they try to talk to the child and they'll, you know, whatever. They, the parents do what they can. So the parents with the kids is very understandable, the parents helping the kids. Uh, but when it's adults wanting to help another adult, like a friend or a colleague, um, or even a family member that's an adult, uh, it's, it's sometimes very hard. And, you know, we've all heard the saying, oh, you can't change other people and everything. And in a way, it's true, right? I mean, you can want, let's say one of your friends has a drug problem and you can talk to your friend about it. You can send them emails with links to help. You can encourage them to check into a rehab facility. You can do all that, and but it doesn't mean it's going to work, right? It's still up to that person, 
the person who's addicted to the drugs to at some point step up and say, hey, I want help. I'm going to change this. So I've gone up and down on this topic. I've changed my mindset a little bit over time because I used to think, yes, you should help everybody as much as you can. Then I went through a phase where I said, you don't have to help anyone because, or not that you don't have to, but it doesn't, it doesn't really help them. Like it's up to God or the universe to give help to this person. I can do a little bit, but whatever I do is not going to directly cause the positive outcome that I want. So it's a tricky thing. I'm wondering what you think about it. But here's one thing I realized recently, and this is the reason I'm bringing this point up, is that we always think of helping people. I mean, you can give things to people, you can give people money, and you can give them a bed to sleep in and all this stuff, and that's good. Um, You can also just be there for them, which I think is probably the best way we can help others, just to be there with them, just to support them. You don't have to give the best advice. You don't have to solve all their problems, but just to be there for them, to talk with and listen, listen to them, right? That, that type of support is valuable because then at least the person feels supported, then they can make their own decision, right? They can have their own realization. Um, but on a spiritual level, there's another way as well, and that's praying for someone. And I mean, some of us do this. Some of us have heard about this, um, but maybe we don't practice it every day. Maybe you've done it before from time to time. Uh, It could be something you do every day at a certain time. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for, you know, people just that come to your mind that you feel you need to pray for. Um, But when you're praying for people too, you can get into this, you know, superficial type of prayer where it says, oh, you know, I hope my friend Joe gets a job that pays, you know, a thousand dollars a week because that's what he needs. You know, you know, God, please give Joe a job for a thousand dollars a week. That, I mean, it's okay to say that, but that's a very superficial prayer. And here's the thing that might not B, you might think it's the best thing for Joe. (laughs) It might not be the best thing for him, right? Because only God knows or the universe knows what's best for Joe. So on on the more subtle, more powerful side of prayer is this prayer that may God or may Master do with Joe as he will. So just prayerfully supporting Joe, saying, may God do as he wills or may master do as he will. Um, So you're not praying for anything specific, but you're letting God or the master do whatever has to be done, which is, that's what's going to happen anyway, right? Um, The other thing is that instead of praying for, oh, God, please give Joe a job making $1,000 a week. The other thing you can pray for, which is very helpful, is that, you know, we're, in this episode, we're, we seem to be talking a lot about worry and stress and anxiety. And so one prayer that you can have for another person is, may they be relieved of their worry and stress and anxiety. So so you're not praying that Joe gets the job for $1,000 a week, but you're praying that whatever he's going through, whatever part of his spiritual journey he's going through, that he's going through it more comfortably, more 
I want to say sanefully, but that's not a word, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that he's going through it with more peace of mind and equanimity and um, more complete awareness and consciousness rather than being hindered by worry and stress, you know, because worry and stress and anxiety, that kind of cripples our awareness and our consciousness. It kind of just brings us right here down to earth, right in this very small sphere of ego. And we're not very powerful at those times. So, so that's one way to help others is to pray for them and pray that they be relieved of all their stress and worry and anxiety, that kind of thing. So they can go through, they can move along their path, move along their journey with more strength and more wisdom and more awareness uh, to make good decisions and to to take advantage of the opportunities uh, before them. Okay, so now it's story time. You've been waiting for this. This was sent to me by my friend Sean Magum, and it's a short story. Um, I might comment a little bit at the end, but, well, anyway, I guess I didn't need to tell you that, but this story is called No Mind, No Mirror. Hui Neng a Chinese master, was working under his master. When Hui Neng went to his master, the master said, For what have you come here? There is no need to come to me. He couldn't understand. Hui Neng thought that he was not yet ready to be accepted, but the master was seeing something else. He was seeing his growing aura. He was saying this, Even if you do not come to me, the thing is bound to happen sooner or later, anywhere. You are already in it, so there is no need to come to me. But Hui Neng said, Do not reject me. So the master accepted him and told him to go just behind the monastery, in the kitchen of the monastery. It was a big monastery of 500 monks. The master said to Hui Neng, Just go behind the monastery and help in the kitchen and do not come again to me. Whenever it will be needed, I will come to you. No meditation was given to Hui Neng, no scriptures to read, study, or meditate upon. Nothing was taught to him. He was just thrown into the kitchen. The whole monastery was working. There were pundits, scholars, and there were meditators, and there were yogis, and the whole monastery was agog. Everyone was working, and this Huineng was just cleaning rice and doing kitchen work. Twelve years passed. Huineng did not go again to the master because it was not allowed. He waited, he waited, he waited. He simply waited. He was just taken as a servant. Scholars would come, meditators would come, and no one would even pay any attention to him. And there were big scholars in the monastery. Then the master declared that his death was near, and now he wanted to appoint someone to function in his place. So he said, those who think they are enlightened should compose a small poem of four lines. In those four lines, you should put all that you have gained. And if I approve any poems and see that the lines show that the enlightenment has happened, I will choose someone as my successor. There was a great scholar in the monastery, and no one attempted the poem because everyone knew that he was going to win. 
He was a great knower of scriptures, so he composed four lines. Those four lines were just like this. The meaning of it was like this. Mind is like a mirror, and dust gathers on it. Clean the dust, and you are enlightened. But even this great scholar was afraid because the master would know. He already knows who is enlightened and who is not. Though all he has written is beautiful, it is the very essence of all the scriptures. Mind is like a mirror, and dust gathers on it. Remove the dust, and you are enlightened. This was the whole gist of all the Vedas, but he knew that was all that it was. He had not known anything, so he was afraid. He didn't go directly to the master, but in the night he went to the hut, to his master's hut, and wrote all the four lines on the wall without signing, without any signature. In this way, if the master approved and said, okay, this is right, then he would say, I have written them. If he said, no, who has written these lines? Then he would keep silent, he thought. But the master approved. In the morning, the master said, okay. He laughed and said, okay, the man who has written this is an enlightened one. So the whole monastery began to talk about it. Everyone knew who had written it. They were discussing and appreciating, and the lines were beautiful, really beautiful. Then some monks came to the kitchen. They were drinking tea and they were talking, and Hui Neng was there serving them. He heard what had happened. The moment he heard those four lines, he laughed. So someone asked, Why are you laughing, you fool? You do not know anything. For twelve years you have been serving in the kitchen. Why are you laughing? No one had even heard him laugh before. He was just taken as an idiot who would not even talk. So he said, I cannot write, and I am not an enlightened one either. But those lines are wrong. So if someone comes with me, I will compose four lines. If someone comes with me, he can write it on the wall. I cannot write. I do not know writing. So someone followed him, just as a joke. A crowd came there, and Huineng said, Write, There is no mind, and there is no mirror. So where can the dust gather? One who knows this is enlightened. But the master came out, and he said, You are wrong, to Huineng. Huineng touched his feet and returned back to his kitchen. In the night, when everyone was asleep, the master came to Huineng and said, You are right, but I could not say so before those idiots. And they are learned idiots. If I had said that you are appointed as my successor, they would have killed you. So escape from here. You are my successor, but do not tell it to anyone. And I knew this the day you came. Your aura was growing. That was why no meditation was given to you. There was no need. You were already in meditation. And these 12 years silence, not doing anything, not even meditation, emptied you completely of your mind. And the aura has become full. You have become a full moon. But escape from here. Otherwise, they will kill you. 
You have been here for 12 years, and the light has been constantly spreading from you, but no one observed it. And they have been coming to the kitchen. Everyone has been coming to the kitchen every day, thrice, four times. Everyone passes through here. That is why I posted you in the kitchen. But no one has recognized your aura. So you escape from here. And that's the story. No mind, no mirror. It reminds me of a little story that Charaji said when people who are practicing spirituality and they, they don't feel like they're getting enough attention from the master, he likened the master to a doctor who was tending to the people in need. And so if you saw a doctor tending to your neighbor, going to your neighbor's house every day, would you say, oh, why is the doctor going to the neighbor's house? Why doesn't the doctor come to my house? Of course you wouldn't say that because the doctor's not coming to your house because you're healthy. And that's a good thing. So same thing in this story. So so without much further ado, maybe you enjoyed some of these concepts. Maybe you can write them in your diary or talk about them with your friends. Uh, you can go to themysticshow.net. Check out everything there. Links to everything's there. All our social media as well. So as you move through your day and the next coming week, I hope you keep these concepts in mind. Meditate well. And as always, keep shining. <laughs>